Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne on 855 AM. Thanks to Sally for um, another great edition of Out of the Pan. Also, thanks to Sally for sending us a few articles on veganism and animal activism published on The Guardian throughout the week, and we'll make sure we get to at least one of those. Um, but my guest today is Mary McKennich. Thanks for coming in, Mary. Thank you for inviting me. And Mary spoke at an event, Animal Liberation and Capitalism, which took place recently on the 16th of July. This was hosted by Green Left Weekly and Socialist Alliance Melbourne. Uh, the speakers included Kristen Lee, from, who's the President and Campaign Director of Vegan Rising, uh, Mary, who've got in the studio, uh, Dylan Fernando, co-founder of Young Voices for Animals, and we'll actually play Dylan's talk at the end of the show today. And yeah, I just thought I'd read the description of this event, which sort of gives you a bit of a taste of the kind of things that we'll be discussing today, talking about capitalism and animal liberation on the show today. So uh, the event description read, Under capitalism's day, the suffering of animals is epidemic. From mass extinctions, giant factory farms run entirely for profit without regard for suffering. Unnecessary animal testing and, and experiments alongside the destruction and pollution of habitat and continued inhumane use of animal products to produce clothing. What is driving this and what can we do about it? So that's just a, yeah, sort of a taste of the event, which we'll sort of be touching on some of the themes of that event on the show today. Uh, and before we get into that, I wanted to just briefly mention uh, one of the articles Sally sent through to us on Facebook, which was... It just doesn't make any sense why Australians are turning away from meat by Carla Wildquist published on theguardian.com. And in this article, they mentioned, according to research by Roy, Roy, Merck, more, sorry, Roy Morgan, nearly 2.5 million Australians, just over 12% of the population, said they ate vegetarian or primar- primarily vegetarian diets in 2018, up from 2.2 million in 2014. But they also mentioned, despite that apparent trend, Australians are still the biggest meat consumers in the world in 2014 the average australian ate 116 kilograms of meat per year almost three times the global average of 43 kilograms and so yeah some progress and some ways to go and i think also and we'll get into this throughout the discussion but definitely individual choices are important for animals but there's a whole lot going on beyond just individual choices and there's also political and economic systems and corporation and all these factors that are bigger than the individuals which we also need to consider as well which we'll be getting on to today but i want to start off with uh just first time for mary on the show maybe give you a bit of background about yourself i know you mentioned during the talk um that you're a socialist member of the socialist alliance also you mentioned um feminist feminist anti-war vegan lots of like i'm just wondering yeah how you came to these different positions and also yeah where did animals kind of come in that order in terms of their veganism and animal liberation being part of that broader mix i guess okay uh well I think my first awakening was uh, just seeing the injustices of the world. Like when I was a teenager, I there were um, although there were there was lots of publicity about children starving and and people starving and 
and here I lived in this world where I had enough to eat so that was my first inkling that I just felt something wasn't right and then of course I was a young woman during the Vietnam War moratoriums and I didn't quite understand what was going on as a teenager so I'd go home and ask my dad and my father um, who was a German migrant, both my parents were, but also the, the son of a Communist Party member in Germany took the side that was supporting um, the Vietnamese um, liberation movement and so I'd get that side mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I'd go and argue it at school because um, everyone was radicalising, everyone was talking about what was going on. So th there was just such a, um, it was an exciting time because there was all this radical music and, and um, the length of men's hair was being challenged, etc. And so in school we'd be debating all these things. And so I'd go and, and argue in favour of the Vietnamese Liberation Army being able to to do what they were doing, challenging US imperialism. Um, and luckily I had a teacher who was also quite progressive and um, then he also introduced us to feminism. Yeah, and it sort of went from there. Mm -hmm. And where did animals kind of come into that? Was that yeah, early on or was that much later on that you kind of considered animals as part of that sort of social justice thinking? I've always loved animals and mm. I always felt really sad when I, I'd see them suffer. Uh, but I don't think I really understood, yeah, that maybe we should not be eating meat for mm. a long time. And it was, uh, and I got into vegetarianism because of health reasons, first mm. of all. Mm. Um, so, sadly, I have <laughs> to admit that the um, the thinking that animals needed to be treated much better and that it was part of the exploitation of what I saw around me that came a lot later. Mm. And I know you started your talk sort of debunking or, or discussing some stereotypes as about both socialists and vegans, which you've been to both those categories. Do you want to talk about some of those stereotypes and how I guess they're not always the case? Well, I think um, socialists, Marxists uh, are often seen as people who only talk about economy and who are dogmatic and also that we can't give up our, our grilled sausages. Um and then on the other side, I think a lot of Marxists or socialists look at vegans or uh, animal liberationists and think that they're all Puritans and um, people who, while they espouse how people should live and what they shouldn't eat, that they have a zero effect really on any kind of oppression under capitalism. Um, and yeah, I think they're just, they've become cliches like cliches, you know, often develop. Um, there are many socialists, especially in Socialist Alliance, that I personally know. We all feel very strongly about the liberation of animals. There are people in my party who still eat meat and who haven't been won over yet, but we we hope to win them over. Um, but, of course, it's not just about us. It's also about all of Australians, as you mentioned, despite the fact that more people are becoming vegetarians or vegans, we, we, we still consume a lot of meat. Um, so, yeah... I wanted to debunk that cliche, but I also wanted to debunk the other cliche that um, vegans are all these middle-class moralists and that they're not interested in changing or challenging capitalism. And I think the other two speakers who were at our forum did a very good job of doing that. Mm. 
Yeah, and I think obviously, like any stereotype, that yeah, you could point to examples where they might be true for some individuals. But yeah, definitely in the animal movement, I've been to a lot of talks in animal advocacy spaces, which are talking about capitalism and its role in animal exploitation. And yeah, on the flip side, I think there is that um, yeah stereotype of socialists of it's only about class and it's only about economics. But yeah, certainly from what I know from socialists, that yeah, that still exists, but it's more about um, bringing in class as part of the mix rather than focusing purely on that. And a lot of more uh, maybe more liberal like uh, discussions that aren't anti-capitalist bring in things like gender and race but may not bring in class and it's more bringing in class in addition to those other categories rather than sort of replacing them I guess as far as I understand anyway in terms of where a lot of socialists are at. Well yeah. I think if you're a Marxist you would still say that the core issue is mm. how the economy works mm-hmm. um, and that you know, if you put it in very simple terms, I would define capitalism as a system that puts profit above need, above the, the survival of the planet and any of us, um, whether that's other species, it's also ourselves. Um, and and so th- we see that as the core problem. And once you get rid of that core problem, then you have the basis for challenging things such as women's oppression, such as heterosexism, um, racism but also speciesism yeah yeah and i think that in terms of maybe not so much a definition of capitalism but a a maybe characteristic of capitalism is also the desire for endless growth as well we always hear oh no the economy is slowing down and that this is going to you know it's going to be bad for the economy but of course yeah having this endless growth is also bad for the environment bad for animals and also the profit motive also playing a role in the um, animal exploitation so you touched on that a little bit but anything more you want to say about that in terms of this this profit motive and how that is very much central to capitalism and also how it harms animals well uh, you just mentioned growth and i I, it's the profit motive that needs the economy to continuously expand otherwise you can't sell your products whatever they are um and that that also fuels these crises that we have um and sometimes they're solved by wars because then you can sell your product um if they're weapons in particular um and if you destroy countries and once they have to be reconstructed well, then you've got a new market again. So I just, you know, that's how I would see what profit does. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think that the level of agriculture that we have around the world has been driven by the profit motive. Um, it's something like one-third of the Earth's um, is now... Um, um, over to to agriculture and that is also privately owned Um, but that wouldn't be the case if you didn't have this need to constantly find a source of profit Mm -hmm. yeah and and i think um david nybert who is a sociologist and focuses a lot on these issues around animals and capitalism and yeah animal exploitation generally um he mentioned i remember once uh something along the lines of um capitalism increases the scale and intensity of animal exploitation so that's not to say animals were totally left alone before capitalism but as you say because it's driven by profit rather than need it's not a matter of yeah meeting human needs it's a matter of generating as much profit as possible for these industries that use animals therefore yeah again increasing that scale and intensity of animal exploitation increasing the numbers uh because they're trying to maximize their profit and there was some discussion at that event or some kind of debate about sort of a a chicken and egg kind of scenario in terms of what came first in terms of were animals devalued and therefore because they were devalued uh therefore you know that let's use them to generate profit and i know you sort of more came from the other side of the equation in terms of the idea of um yeah animals it is profitable 
or we'll exploit them. Therefore, we sort of generate this ideology of speciesism or discrimination against animals. You want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, making the case for that side that sort of the, I guess, the, in a way, the capitalism came before the speciesism to some degree or at least contributes to it? Well, when people talk about speciesism, I think it ignores the fact that the capitalist system not only exploits animals, it exploits human beings. Um, and when you look at what how what human beings are exploited, it's often children. I heard this program the other day where um, this person explained that nearly every item of clothing that we have or, or every purchase we make, if you go back to the source, you'll probably find that it's driven or it was created by child labour or there was some input of child labour. So capitalism is not just exploiting other species, it's exploiting its own species as well. It doesn't really care. Wherever it can make a buck, it will do it. Mm. So I would argue that the circumstances for being able to make a profit or to make money out of something, that was the thing that came first and then and then people thought, okay, well, we can use animals to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And I think often the justification comes afterwards that then, you know, you justify, well, we, we, we should be able to exploit these animals because they're lesser beings than what we are. Yeah. Or, you know, for a lot of long time, um, I think, you know, these days it's totally um, clear that animals suffer, that they experience all sorts of emotions. But for a long time, especially when I was younger, people would say, oh, they don't really feel that. They, they don't really share our emotions. They don't really experience the kinds of things that we do. Um, but I think it's very clear now. You'd have to be pretty ignorant of, of science not to understand that animals do experience all those things. So I've sort of driven, for, um, gone away from the original question. But, yeah, so that's why I would say that um, capitalism came first. And, yes, it's certainly advanced capitalism has intensified the exploitation but I think the desire to exploit something is because mm. we can make money out of it. Mm. Um, you don't just exploit something for the heck of it unless you are someone who's not a well person. And again, I would argue that's because we live in such a, a warped society that is driven by a society that is not interested in, in human needs or in other species needs or even in the interests of the the existence of the planet mm. and uh, just actually just an anecdotal example recently i've yeah buy, have to have, having to buy a new pair of shoes a new pair of sneakers and of course as a vegan i'm going to buy non-leather um but just because it's non-leather doesn't necessarily mean as you say the humans are treated well or that there's not child labor involved and all those kind of things and i think that sort of touches on yeah obviously trying to do the best thing possible in terms of not just uh, animals but also labor standards uh, and trying to do the best i can when i bear buy a pair of shoes um, and yeah, I think it is important to do as best as we can kind of in a way within the system. But I think we also need to, as you say, challenge this system, which leads to these problems in the first place of yeah, exploiting vulnerable groups or individuals, whether human or non-human or the environment as a whole. Um, and so do you want to touch a bit on, um, yeah, I guess the, yeah, maybe we'll go to the limitations of consumer-based changes, I guess. And again, I personally think we should do as much as we can, but I also think Again, we need to look broader as well. But yeah, any thoughts on that, the limitations of consumer-based changes, whether they're for humans or animals or both, etc.? I Well, I agree with you, Nick. I think we should do both. It's, I would use the analogy of sexism. You know, some people, some socialists, and there are still some around now, who argue that um, 
uh, you've got to wait for the revolution mm. and then we'll, we, we'll get rid of women's oppression. Mm. Well, first of all, I don't think it's going to happen automatically. And I think there's very few people today that would argue that you shouldn't challenge sexism wherever you see it now. Mm. Um, and so for me, that's the same with animals. I think we, um, yeah, okay, we might be doing little things each as individuals, but in the end they might add up. And also I think it affects us as the kind of human beings that we are. Um, so I think both is important. I think um, buying those things that do not exploit animals is really important. Um, and challenging the system is, is the most crucial thing, though, because otherwise capitalism just um, jumps on the bandwagon, as they've done with the... You know, I, and in my talk, I mentioned the totally indulgent um, magnum mm -hmm. that they're advertising now. And, of course, you can go to big... Uh, Burger King and you can get a vegan burger there and there's lots of places now that are jumping on the vegan bandwagon because they see there's money to be made there as well. Mm. Uh, so we have to be careful that this is not just a lifestyle choice we're making. I mean, if that's what you want to do, if you don't care about politics, okay. I don't agree with that because I think um, then you're part of the problem because mm. you're not challenging the problem at all. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that argument, which again might be a stereotype of socialists, and, and yeah, definitely a lot of the people at the event were very much on board with the idea of animal liberation and, and veganism, those kind of things. And I think even those who weren't were very open to the discussion and definitely had some consideration for animals that might not have gone as maybe far or deep as as me or you feel like feel about animals in terms of our obligations towards them. But there was definitely definitely some concern and, and definitely a willingness to discuss and and debate these issues. But yeah, I think and there can, are. Can I just, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Can I just add that I think as a, um, a progressive person, whether you call yourself just a feminist or whether you call yourself a socialist, a Marxist or, or whatever, I think you should always be self-critical and always re-examine your ideas. And, of course, yeah. that's what I had to do. And when I realised that, okay, my socialism, my Marxism has to include the liberation of animals. So I, I do um, believe that my comrades, most of them, are are those kinds of comrades, that they're mm. open and they're willing to challenge some of the beliefs that they've held. Mm. Um, and if you're not, then I think you're not going to, um, you're going to be left behind by history, basically, I mm -hmm. think. Um, and also, if that doesn't happen, then, you know, the capitalist system's going to win because it's it it's, has all the cards stacked for it. We've, we've got to challenge it in every possible way we can. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the parallel to sexism and, and forms of human oppressions are, is very much on point in terms of, I guess, you know, like um, speciesism, like capitalism plays into sexism. I know socialists and Marxists have, have raised that a lot. Um, but having said that, you know, obviously as individuals, you know, therefore we shouldn't say, well, therefore we can just use misogynistic language or like individual things are, are very important. I think the same with, with uh, veganism and liberation, the fact that, you know, an individual isn't necessarily going to solve the issue in themselves, but I think we need to do whatever we can now. And also that idea of after the revolution. I know, I think you mentioned uh, Marina Privileged Vegan, and I, I certainly heard um, she does a podcast with Mexi, who's another yeah, vegan YouTuber and stuff. And I know Mexi made the point on a podcast I listened to 
that basically like if we don't care about animals now we probably won't care about them after the revolution and as if, if we don't you know think sexism is important we probably won't all of a sudden care about after the revolution as well so i think that is important of yeah doing what we can now and also looking at the broader issues as well um and in terms of some of those issues and you've mentioned this already in terms of human oppression but do you want to talk a bit about slaughterhouse workers as well i think that's a really good example of that intersection between both human oppression and non-human oppression yeah, so there's a lot of evidence that um, has come out, I think, fairly recently and that um, maybe isn't as widespread as um, hopefully it will become. But the link between working in a slaughterhouse and things such as um, uh, domestic abuse, child abuse, um, but also drug and alcohol abuse, um, the, the links seem to be there. Um, I quoted in my talk excuse me, this UK journalist called Ashita Nagesh. And I'll just quote her again. She wrote, the psychological toll this takes on a person, talking about these workers that work in these factories, cannot be underestimated. Slaughterhouse work has been linked to a variety of disorders, including PTSD and the lesser known PITS, which is perpetration-induced traumatic stress. Um, it's also been connected to an increase in crime rates, including a high, higher incidence of domestic abuse, as well as alcohol and drug abuse. Um, and I think it was in an article that she wrote, I also read, she described how she walked into this factory, meat producing factory, and she said the smell was overpowering of, of blood and um, bleach. Mm. Um, and she also has commented that some workers that turn up on their first day, they vomit. Mm. Others go, they leave straight away. They know they just can't do it. Mm. Um, but some workers stay, and a lot of workers stay, and we have to understand this because they have no other choice. In, extra in Australia, for example, there's a lot of refugees that are employed in slaughterhouses, and it's casual work, it's very precarious, it's all they can get, but somehow they need to pay the bills. Uh, and so that's why they do it, but it takes a toll on them. And one of the things that Marx wrote about, of course, was the alienation of us from our work. And I think a high degree of alienation would be necessary to work long term in a place like a slaughterhouse. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, and I, I did an interview with an Australian slaughterhouse worker and, yeah, definitely a lot of those themes come through. He definitely said the, um, yeah, it basically, it, it couldn't run without um, illicit drugs, basically. He said, like, every yeah, to, to deal with that sort of harm they're imposing on animals. And also going back to your previous point about, you know, sort of the role of capitalism, animal exploitation, I don't believe these people are inherently sort of wanting to harm animals, but they have to sort of numb themselves to the suffering, a bit like even soldiers in war in terms of the civilians, you have to sort of, you know, give them a certain label or, you know, racism often comes into it, Islamophobia, etc. Um, but yeah, in order to do that job, they have to think, well, animals can't feel because there's no way you could do that job otherwise. So there's a lot of abuse that's done as a way of sort of just coping with that job of, of, of matter of doing this job as well, which, as you say, they don't necessarily want to do, but we all have to do something to, to be able to eat, I guess. Yeah. 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 And in, in your article, you've written an article on greenleft.org.au, Capitalism's Abuse of Animals Degrades Us All. And I know in that article you spoke about some other links between harm to animals and harm to humans under capitalism. Are there any other links there you want to touch on in terms of the way in which, um, yeah, that, that um, oppression between humans and animals is linked particularly under capitalism? Well, the, the other studies, of course, that I think are more widely known is that often serial killers... Um, were when they were young were 
kids that tortured animals. So their um, their path to becoming human beings that are, in my opinion, are very unwell human beings. And most most of the stories I know about serial killers show that they've been abused themselves. Mm. Uh, as a Marxist, I believe that we are products of our society, and so I I you know think that people who become psychopaths or sociopaths or whatever it's because we as a society have created this um and we need to take responsibility for it but anyway i'm straying again from the main point which is so there's a link between that um and then of course there's the um immense ecological damage that that this industry um creates um the CSIRO recently suggested that we should all be going vegetarian as soon as possible because animal agriculture is just, the carbon footprint is so enormous that it is creating um, so much pollution and destruction. Um, so there's the link to um, to the whole environment issue. Um I'm sure there's other links. Mm. Oh, that's <laughs> I've just got a bit of a blank no, at the moment. I was going to add as well, I think I often think about those studies where it says that like direct harm to animals, you know, therefore leads often to sort of direct harm to humans later in life, for example, as you mm. say, serial killers. And, they, yes. and I always wonder of like, how do, what about, for example, our consumption of animals where we're not doing the harm ourselves? And I think there probably is parallels to human oppression there in terms of maybe the products whereby we not, we're not thinking about the harm to animals behind them, but often we're also maybe not thinking about the harm to humans as well, as you say, child labour, sweatshop labour, environmental damage and all those kind of things as well. Um, and again, also not to purely pin these issues on just individuals making the wrong choices within the market. Again, we need to look at that uh, profit motive and, and, and the system as well behind those um, but I wanted to yeah maybe you've finished with some of your thoughts before we get into some plugs um, for an event coming up etc but I wanted to yeah if you do have any implications for animal activism and animal activists or any sort of lessons for animal activists because certainly I've always very much been on on board with this anti-capitalist kind of message um, but then when it came to animal activism I often found it kind of difficult to put this into practice in my animal activism and I generally focus more on vegan outreach which again I think is a positive thing but it's probably not necessarily anti-capitalist in itself um, but yeah so do you think that in terms of this anti-capitalist message we can incorporate that into animal activism or do you think it's more a matter of um, yeah people who are animal activists and anti-capitalists also getting involved in other movements and other struggles which are sort of challenging capitalism any sort of lessons for animal activists from all of these discussions uh, <laughs> I don't want to tell people what they should do but you know for me personally mm. I'm involved in a few different um, issues so obviously mm. feminism is very close to my heart um, I, the refugee issue is very important. As a teacher, I feel passionate about education and that government schools should be the um, schools of choice, that there should actually be no bloody private schools in Australia at all. Um, so w whatever issues I, I'm involved in, I, I take my message that as a socialist and a Marxist that Capitalism is the root cause, and I and so I would say that you know, as an animal liberation activist, that's what I would be be doing. Um, I really 
I really admired what Kristen Lee and her group organised, the blockade in the CBD. I mm. thought that was fantastic. I mm. thought that was taking the movement a step up. And mm. I know a lot of people criticised them and said, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. Mm. But it reminded me of the early days of the women's liberation movement when mm. people were saying, oh, bra burning and, and all the other stuff that um, was happening, they shouldn't be doing that. It's just... Um, you know, it's not good. It's not going to get you good publicity. But it raises the issue. It gets mm. people talking about it. So I think challenging the capitalist system directly as much as possible, mm. they're the kinds of actions. Um, and, yeah, not getting bought off in some way, um, not relying on the, the major parties because they're not going to solve our problems at all, understanding that you have to... Um, um, yeah, you just have to look politically elsewhere and that people should become independently politically active. Don't rely on mm. any party. You know, if mm. you, like, I've joined Social Science because I think I agree with everything that they say. I'm Not I think, I know I do. Um, and I would advise everyone out there to look out, check out all the parties that are around, um, get involved, just challenge the system, but don't rely on our major parties because it's clear as daylight that... Their interests are in maintaining this system. Mm. And I, I think that that action is a really interesting one. The, the one you mentioned, the Dominion Animal Liberation Disruption, and there was the event in the, like, in the city of Melbourne near Flinders Street. And also I think it's important that there were some other actions as well that actually took place at, the, at, at slaughterhouses on the same day. And I found that kind of interesting in that a lot of what we do in the animal movement is things like vegan outreach, which tackle the consumption side of things, which again is part of the equation. But I found them quite interesting that they were actually focusing on the production like where and that sort of side of the thing as well. I think that was sort of, in a way, indirectly sort of anti-capitalist in a way in terms of it's not just individuals creating this demand, it's also these industries as well. So I thought that was kind of interesting to flip that as well in terms of that action as well. Um, but I wanted to hand it over to you in the last few minutes just to give you any yeah chance, anything you want to promote, any links um, for Socialist Alliance and also there's an event coming up, uh, the next uh, discussion group from Socialist Alliance and Green Left as well. Yes, thank you um, for the opportunity. So our next forum is on the prison system and I'm just looking for my leaflet it's entitled build communities not prisons resisting government incarceration agendas it's on tuesday the 20th of august starts at 6 30 p.m we always have a cheap and tasty meal from 6 p.m they're always vegetarian if not vegan um in fact i think they mostly are vegan actually anyway it's at the resistance center which is 407 swanson street in the city opposite rmit on level five um so that should be a really interesting forum. And um, you mentioned any links. Well, I would give a plug for Green Left Weekly. That's our newspaper. But also, um, if you go online, uh, do you have the, the links thing there, Nick? For? For the links. Um, the for one that's actually called links. No? Links. If you oh. Google links, I think you'll just you'll get to this website that is called links. Oh, okay. I'm yeah, L I N K S. Yeah. And there's lots of different articles there. There's an there's a, a great article from a German Marxist group that focuses on animal liberation. Um, they're called Assoziation um, Demoung, and 
there's other articles there as well. Um, and if you Google Green Left Weekly, you'll get some of the other articles that I've written about animals under capitalism. Okay, great. Well, yeah, Mary can send that through and I can put it in the notes at freedomofspecies.org this episode. Um, also, Mary's article on greenleft.org.au, Capitalism's Abuse of Animals Degrades Us All. Um, we'll link that into the show notes for this episode. I've also shared that on Freedom of Species social media as well. So if you go to our Facebook and Twitter, you can find those articles up um, shared just recently. Um, we're going to finish up with a track, which is uh, Blackbird by the Beatles. Anything you want to say about this song? Yes. Yeah, so Paul McCartney wrote this song. And um, if you listen to it, it sounds like it's just about a blackbird and, and how badly it's treated and that, you know, it should seek freedom, which is a great message for this um, issue that we've been talking about. But he also saw it linking it as or an analogy to the black liberation movement that was... Um, yeah, the civil rights movement that was going on when he was a young man. Yeah, and so stay tuned. We're going to play a talk by Dylan Fernando from this Animal Liberation and Capitalism event afterwards. But thanks so much for coming in, Mary. Thank you very much. Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life You were only waiting for this moment to arise Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these sunken eyes and learn to see All your life You are only waiting for this moment to be free Blackbird fly Blackbird fly Into the line of a dark black Sunday, September 1st. Having completed an 11-city Japanese tour, they now launch their Japanese released album along with US split vinyl. Very special guests are Japanese label mates 20 Gilders, featuring Mitsuru Tabata of Acid Mother's Temple. Light Magnetic, the new band with members from The Scientists and Paradise Motel, plus competition team. Fraud Band, 
The Tote, Sunday, September 1st. Tickets, $10 pre-sale from the thetotehotel.oztix.com.au. Casumuin Records is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR, and today we're discussing animal liberation and capitalism. And yeah, we earlier on in the show, we were joined by Mary McKennitt from the Socialist Alliance, who was talking about this topic. And yeah, she spoke at this event, Animal Liberation and Capitalism, organised by Green Left Weekly and Socialist Alliance, along with Kristen Lee and Dylan Fernando. And we're going to play a talk now from Dylan Fernando from this event, talking about, yeah, how how animals are affected by capitalism and also Dylan has a strong focus on animals as not just victims under capitalism um, and being affected by capitalism but also as active agents resisting their oppression under capitalism as well. Hi everyone, um, my name is Dylan Fernando, I am an activist and organiser in the animal rights community here in Melbourne. Um, I want to acknowledge the Boon and Wurundjeri peoples and their elders, the traditional custodians of this land which has been colonised and occupied by both European colonisers and settlers of various backgrounds, including myself. Um, I hope that in this discussion, uh, you know, the discussions, the questions and the stories that we share um, can help us take a step towards dismantling the domineering mindset of colonisation. I'm very excited to talking and very grateful thank you Megan for inviting me here um, I understand this is kind of one of the first times that animal liberation is being explored within a public socialist science forum a socialist alliance forum so um, you know hopefully we can all come away with some broader perspectives identify some common ground and um, yeah unearth some tensions as well and hopefully explore those in a peaceful and productive way so I want to start with a point which I hope we will all be able to broadly agree on, that animal, animals are victims of capitalism. So under colonial law, which operates in tandem with our political and economic systems, uh, animals are defined as property and resources there for human use. So they don't have rights. Um, so in terms of animals in the wild, uh, their homes, you know, the trees, the earth, the waters, are invaded, polluted and destroyed so that we can expand human industries. When it comes to animals within human systems, they are simultaneously exploited workers, inputs into production and blood-soaked products all at the same time. Um, they are, their bodies are used as breeding machines. They are held in captivity, separated from their families and traded as commodities. They are forced to surrender their, their autonomy and their spirit uh, through, you know, through physical beatings and through psychological manipulation. They are experimented on, they are hunted, they are mutilated, they are forced to perform, they are ogled at in the confines of zoos and aquariums. Mere units of production, they, have, they are killed and have their bodies rendered into food and clothing. And that's before we even get to the way that animals suffer and will continue to suffer tremendously uh, due to the climate crisis that modern capitalism has played no small part in creating. So almost every species of animal um, is, you know, has, is violated in some way by capitalism. Um, and, 
you know, that, that applies even to the cats and dogs who we cherish so much. They're executed by the thousands every year because there's an excess supply of so-called pets and not enough homes where they can actually live. So hopefully we can all broadly see uh, and accept uh, collectively that where there is profit to be made, animals' lives are forfeit. But I don't want to just talk about animals as victims of capitalism. I want to explore things from a different angle. And to do that, I want to tell you a couple of stories. The first story takes place uh, back in 2007 and involves someone named Tatiana. So Tatiana was a Siberian tiger um, who was brought to the San, San Francisco Zoo in, uh, in 2005 and she was considered like a star addition to the lineup of animals at the zoo. Um, Tatiana was uh, placed in an enclosure that was about 100 square metres um, of roaming space, which was a little bit of a far cry from the 250 square kilometres she would have in her natural habitat. Um, it was rumoured that she was underfed, so that in her desire for food, she would move around a bit more and be a little more entertaining for the kids. Um, but on the 26th of December 2007, Tatiana had enough. You see, these three men came along, and uh, three young men, possibly drunk, and they started yelling obscenities at her, waving their arms around, um, and evidence indicates they were throwing things at her as well. And a visitor testified that they had seen these people doing the exact same thing to the lions in the nearby enclosure. So Tatiana, she gets pissed. Tatiana. Tatiana takes a massive leap and scrambles on top of the 12-foot wall that forms the perimeter of her enclosure, and she attacks these men outside the enclosure, and she rips one of them to pieces, and the other two, they run away. Now I want you to listen closely to what happens next. Tatiana, for 20 minutes, roams the grounds of the zoo. She has ample opportunity to attack first responders to attack zoo staff, and she even walks straight past a group of warthogs who are vulnerable in a nearby enclosure. But she does none of these things. Her focus is utterly singular. She tracks down these men at the, at the terrace cafe of the zoo, and she attacks while they're hiding there. And it's at this point that the police arrive and Tatiana is shot dead. It's worth noting at this point that just, uh, that soon after this, it, came to light that Tatiana, um, this wasn't the first time she had acted out. She had actually attacked a trainer a, re a year earlier and almost bitten their arm off. Okay, so that's the first story. The second story takes place in Hackettstown, a small town uh, in the US state of New Jersey. Around mid-2017, a goat escaped from the Hackettstown auction market where animals are bought and sold. This goat was, in the ensuing months, spotted around town, um, often within the company of five deer who, um, who they appeared to have befriended. And they often appeared at the local train station, and townspeople kind of um, anointed them as a local celebrity. And they nicknamed this goat Fred. In August of 2018, about a year after Fred's uh, escape, there was another escape at the auction market, this time of about 75 animals. Um, Pigs, sheep, goats, most of them are rounded up, but about 20 of them managed to get away. Now, 
Soon after the escape, police received reports that Fred was sighted early that morning somewhere near the auction market. And people started to, to sort of say, oh, is, is Fred the culprit behind this escape? Did Fred orchestrate this? And, and, and some of them were joking, but some of them actually weren't. The head of the auction market was absolutely convinced through, um, was absolutely convinced that Fred had bashed open a gate that allowed these 75 animals to escape. And in fact, Fred was actually spotted early the next morning uh, near the auction market again, which led people to speculate that maybe he was trying to plan an encore. <laughs> but uh, Fred, has, Fred has since been captured, sadly, and is now forced to be um, a breeder on a farm where his body will be used as a reproductive machine and his children stolen from him and their mother in perpetuity. It's lovely. Um, so, yeah, these stories are stories of animals directly resisting against their situation. Tatiana threw a very specific retaliation against her captors and antagonizers. Fred, through his escape, through his survival and building relationships with deer, through his potential rescue of 75 animals, and those 75 animals through their flight from the auction market. And you can read a, a lot more stories like this in the Facebook page, Animal Resistance, which I highly recommend you follow, um, as well as a book uh, by historian Jason Hribel, Fear of the Animal Planet. Um, and these stories are kind of appearing all the time, right? But they can be hard to miss because the media often trivializes them. But sometimes, you know, they get famous, like the story of Tilikum, the whale at SeaWorld Orlando, who killed three people in the course of his resistance. Uh, the story of Chautauqua, the horse, the Australian horse who refused to run. Um, the story of the emus in Western Australia who organised themselves to pretty successfully avoid a culling operation by the Australian military. And then on other occasions you get these lower profile acts, you know, you get dairy cows um, uh, attacking farmers to stop them from seizing their children. You get pigs jumping off moving slaughter trucks. You get that cockatoo who was seen at the shopping mall in Katoomba dismantling anti-bird spikes on the roof. And on other occasions you get the smaller acts, which happen all the time but are no less important. Chickens struggling against slaughter equipment. Cows bellowing for their lost children. Fish gasping for oxygen as they're <laughs> impaled and taken out of the water. And of course there are the animals who, once they manage to get out of these industries, resist by actually choosing to continue surviving and building relationships. So when we see these stories, it can be a bit challenging to kind of figure out what do they, what do they amount to? What do we actually do with them? Because on one hand, we can say, oh, they're animals. Well, we don't, we don't know what, what they mean by these things. But on the other hand, we can look at the frequency of these acts. We can look at the specific ways that animals are responding to situations that most humans would find utterly traumatic. We can combine that with our modern scientific understanding of animal consciousness and recognize that these are not just animals randomly acting out. We can frame these as um, acts of protest. We can frame them as pleas for help, as attempts at liberation. Right? These are animals clearly telling us that they do not consent to being commodified by humans. 
And we can frame animals not just as victims of capitalism, but as agents in their own narrative resisting capitalism. Sadly, due to the way that human oppression of animals has been structured, it's hard for animals to, animals to achieve collective liberation without the assistance of humans. But despite constant and clear calls to action, animals have largely been excluded from the left's broader struggles for social justice. You know, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, we say. Disregarding the fact, you know, kind of glossing over the fact that it's quite, it's quite hard to justify eating animals and consuming animals under almost any system. They're just animals and it's a privilege to care about them. So, you know, we should be focusing on marginalised humans, we say. Disregarding the numerous, you know, poor, black, brown, indigenous, queer, disabled, trans and other marginalised individuals who are fighting for animal liberation, often in tandem with other political issues. Um, we talk about how animals are often treated better than most humans, ignoring the fact that over a trillion animals, potentially more than, like, potentially two trillion are killed each year by humans. And this, this line of reasoning, these kinds of thought patterns that we follow, which kind of say, you know, that one group, in this case humans, is you know, superior and separate to another group, in this case animals, um, this idea that we can leave others behind in our struggles for justice and allow them to continue to be violated um, just because they don't fulfil some kind of idea to us of what it means to be morally worthy. These are, these, this kind of thought process is it really strives to maintain this continued situation where humans are forever in a situation, in a position of dominance over animals. And this mindset of domination is the very same mindset of domination that, that really kind of underpins capitalism and so much violence and injustice. This mindset of domination has contributed to massive divides in class and gender. It's contributed to um, the ravaging of our natural world, to the oppression of indigenous and um, com indigenous communities and communities of colour. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that if we continue to exclude animals from our, from our social justice movements, that we may be kind of continuing the same thought processes that are propping up some of the very same things that we're trying to fight. Animal liberation is intertwined with our own. And only by embracing that can we authentically challenge the capitalist mindset of domination. Because as long as we believe that one group is less deserving of freedom, there are always going to be cages. And as long as there are cages, there's, we're always all going to live under the threat that one day it could be us ourselves thrown into those cages. Animals are resisting in big and small ways every day, and they are clearly saying to us they do not consent to the position we've put them in society. But whether we, choose, whether we heed their voices, whether we actually embrace them as allies who are both victims and freedom fighters under capitalism, 
that is entirely up to us. Thank you. Three Songs for 3CR on August 3rd brings solos, duos, trios and five choirs to raise funds for Music Sans Frontières. The Oratory, Abbotsford Convent, 7.30pm, Saturday, August 3rd. Tickets at the door or go to www.boite.com.au. The Boite is a 3CR supporter. Dum da 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 dum da 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 boom 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 boom. Hi, I'm Rod Quantock, and you're listening to fill in the dots. You know who you're listening to. Why do I have to tell you who you're listening to? You know who you're listening to. You're listening to yes, fill in the. Free CR Community Radio, you got it right, you've won a giraffe. Uh, we're at 855am, we're on digital radio and streaming at 3cr.org.au. 3CR has been making trouble since 1976 and occasionally I've been part of the trouble that's been made. It's a vital part of our uh, media landscape and I'd encourage you to get a hacksaw, an oxyacetylene torch and go up to the Dandenongs and, and bring down all those broadcast towers that aren't 3CR's towers and let's make 3CR the only source of information to an information-starved, dumbed-down Australian community. Written, authorised and spoken by Neil Mitchell. You're listening to the last few minutes of Freedom of Species, bringing you animal advocacy on the airwaves of 3CR. We just heard a talk from Dylan Fernando from the event Animal Liberation and Capitalism, and you can hear the audio to that whole event if you'd like. Um, I've shared that on the in the show notes of this website on freedomofspecies.org, and also if you listen to this live, I've shared them on Freedom of Species social media as well. So that efe- uh, event features Dylan Fernando, and you just heard his talk. Uh, it also features a talk from Mary McKennich from the Socialist Alliance, who we heard from earlier on in the show and also features Kristen Lee, um, President and Campaign Director of Vegan Rising as well. And I wanted to just briefly mention that Kristen played some of the talk Dominion during her talk and you can watch this documentary Dominion for free at dominionmovement.com forward slash watch. And I wanted to bring in just briefly a couple of those articles that Sally uh, from Out of the Pan, you can find Out of the Pan at 3cr.org.au. So Sally from the Out of the Pan show on 3CR sent us through a few articles on Facebook and a couple of them, um, you know, both of these touched on that documentary to Dominion. So first of all, the article I mentioned at the start of the show about, um, yeah, the increased move towards people turning away from meat and towards veganism, etc. mentioned that a number of converts to veganism cited Dominion um, documentary by Australian filmmaker Um, and yeah, that's obviously been, there's been a lot of actions which we spoke about in reaction to that as well so though, yeah, some of the people that were interviewed by Carla Walker from The Guardian um, cited that that documentary uh, and those protests as a reason why they were uh, becoming vegan or moving towards veganism. There's also another article that Sally sent us as well, um, also by Carla Walquist from theguardian.com, which was Scott Morrison has something in common with this extreme animal rights activist. And yeah, I was talking about some of the, the idea that, you know, both 
animal activists and also yeah some governments and industry are saying people don't know enough about the industry or need to know more etc um, but what I thought um, was particularly relevant here is that they mentioned the protesters such as those involved in those Dominion actions uh, believe that support for these industries is hard to maintain when squeamish consumers are confronted with video footage showing animals being killed even if that footage shows legal best practice methods of humane slaughter. And I thought that was a really important point in terms of, yeah, some of the issues that we spoke about with Mary earlier on in the show in terms of the problems of slaughterhouse work and objectifying animals. These are inherent to these industries. It's not so much that it's done the wrong way. It's always going to be violent towards these animals. And that's a really powerful thing about the documentary Dominion. Not only does it show Australian footage for those saying, oh, no, that only happens in in the US or whatever. But also um, the main focus is on things that are actually legal, things that are uh, within the law, uh, but are still horrible and very harmful to animals. So again, I encourage you to watch that. Uh, obviously, it is uh, graphic, so make sure you're in the right frame of mind if you do want to watch it. Um, but yeah, very powerful documentary, dominionmovement.com forward slash watch. I also wanted to thank Green Left Weekly and Socialist Alliance Melbourne for organising the event and liberation and capitalism, which we've discussed on the show today. You can read uh, the articles on Green Left at greenleft.org.au. You can also find out more about the Socialist Alliance at socialist-alliance.org. Our show is one to two every Sunday. You can find old episodes at freedomofspecies.org as well as on iTunes. And one episode I'd particularly recommend if you enjoyed today's topic is the episode Professor David Nybert, The Animal Industrial Complex, because that talk, uh, amongst other things, touched on the role of animal exploitation in the creation of capitalism, this crossover between animal exploitation and capitalism as well. We appreciate any feedback, info at freedomofspecies.org. If you want to email us, you can also connect with us on Facebook by searching Freedom of Species or on Twitter at FOS Radio. Make sure you stay tuned for Encyclopedia, And we're going to go out with a song which I think is quite a relevant, a relevant one. This is by a vegan hip-hop artist and it's all about capitalism. It's Soul and DJ Payne One. Capitalism is tearing us apart. Since I was a kid, you taught me how to slit a throat and make it feel like a kiss. Taught me the value of hard work by sitting on your ass while I sweated in the French fry vats. Got a 10 cent raise, couldn't live off that. Let's go on vacation, hang out and eat hotel food in a place that's equally destitute as every other place we ever knew. Till the underwater Madison Avenue, watch you drown in a Bangkok bungalow. One way to say I love you Let me count the ways to say that we are I didn't have to explain I'm sorry
can have ties A shared power that grows selfless Means I'm only free if everyone else is These are the bootstraps you hang us with As you watch the world burn through the window of a cruise ship And keep it moving Over the homeless people sleeping And the refugees fleeing They might buy you off with a mansion on a prairie Just don't ask where the bodies are buried Cry when you hit the world Dance to escape the cold Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.